Welcome. It's great to have you all here. Hope you're all having an awesome day. Me, not so much. I uh, tried to return my cell phone to the store and uh, they wouldn't take it. They said uh, that I dropped it in a stream. I'm like, why would you think that? I said, well, it took a picture when you dropped it in the stream. <laughs> So I said, okay, well, how much to repair it? And they said, uh, $500, or you can buy the new one for $299. So I guess things are looking up. I have a new phone. So, <laughs> all right. Well, it's time to turn it over to somebody who never drops his phone. It's Dr. John <laughs> with the Technology Spotlight. Thank goodness I don't drop my phone. <laughs> um, we're going to talk tonight about how some researchers have been studying how cheetahs run. And it's quite a technology tale, well, cheetah's tale, right? <laughs> and uh, it, that's actually the thing they were studying. If you look at a cheetah, you can see it has that massive tail. And um, we've always believed that that has helped them uh, stabilize while they're running. And if you watch them run, you can kind of see that that massive, massive tail uh, counterweighting them. There's one big problem. That's not quite how it works. When they finally got around to weighing the tail, it's only 2% of the whole mass of the cheetah. So swinging that tail around isn't gonna counterweight anything. And so that got researchers wondering, <laughs> and at Carnegie Mellon University, they started studying this to try to figure out what's going on. And it turns out that it's not the mass of the tail that's making the big difference. It's actually all the fluff, the aerodynamic shape of the tail. And as the cheetah runs and swings its tail around, that uh, aerodynamic movement is what's stabilizing uh, the animal as it runs. So naturally, the researchers got to work. And they made their version of the cheetah tail. And if you look at this, uh, it looks kind of like a white flag. I think that's in case a cheetah comes in and wants to race, you know. I surrender, right? <laughs> uh, but actually, uh, it's to simulate the aerodynamic effect of the cheetah tail. And uh, there it goes, you know, yeah, not as fast as a cheetah, but that's not the part. Now, see here, it would have gotten stuck, but it's waving its tail to help it get out. Barely, come on, we can do this. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's their test bed to try to test the different situations. And um, it's kind of interesting to see what the robot can do with just this aerodynamic tail. And I want to show you a couple more videos. Here's one where uh, it's doing a little jump. And you can see how swinging the tail just right makes it go forward and stabilize. And uh, then I want to show you one more here. This is where it's getting dropped and it would hit on its head, except it's got a cute tail. It swings and, and counter moves it. And it's creating all that torque because of the aerodynamic drag of the tail, not because of the weight of the tail. You know, you could use a nice heavy tail to do the same kind of thing. And, and that's the thing that the researchers are realizing, that there are actually quite a few animals that do this. And there are some pretty huge benefits. For example, a cheetah, is really famous for being fast. And if you have a heavy tail that you have to carry around, you're not as fast. So the fact that it's using aerodynamics makes it still agile and be able to use that tail to balance, but not have to carry that extra weight. Another thing they've realized is that um, because it's aerodynamic like that, depending on how the tail's turned, dramatically changes how much of an effect it has. And so the researchers are looking at ways that maybe they could fold up the tail and have it so it's out of the way. And then when they need that extra balance, they would be able to fling it out and use it, you know? So try to get the benefit of having the tail without, you know, some of the side effects, like looking like you're surrendering all the time, right? <laughs> and so uh, there are some pretty interesting possibilities in that regard. And there are some other animals we've noticed that use aerodynamic tails, like flying squirrels and desert gerbolas which are some of uh, the kids' favorites that I know of. And uh, it's really neat that they are doing this, and, and we didn't really quite realize what was going on until just recently. Now we can apply that to our robots. And, you know, 
maybe we'll be able to study some other animals. Maybe we'll figure out how Tigger uses his tail, right? <laughs> he uses it very differently, I'll tell you what. Uh, but we don't have enough time because it's all the tech we have the time for tonight. <laughs> And now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Well, I'm really excited because tonight we're going to talk about something we're probably all familiar with, and that is Wi-Fi, okay? Now, I do need to put in just a little disclaimer here that we want to have wireless connection to our devices, but sometimes we get too into those devices, especially some of us have some issues, okay? I mean, for some of us, it's literally like, you know, the Wi-Fi went down on my house. I had to talk to my family for a while. <laughs> Turns out they're pretty nice people, though. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, Wi-Fi. We need to all of a sudden freeze, though, because I have this side story, okay? This guy named John O'Sullivan, and he was really interested in space. Okay, now why are we talking about, well, just hang on a second. So he's really interested in black holes. Now this is not a real picture of a black hole, but he wanted to study black holes. Now how do you study these things that you cannot see? You can't see them with a telescope. What are you gonna, he wanted to analyze the possible electromagnetic waves that exploding black holes might give off. Okay, so he set up all this equipment to try and monitor incoming radio waves from space. And so he would analyze this and try to see if there was anything he could discover on the signal he received. Well, he had these film strips of all these little dots signifying the things he received and picked up, and it looked like sand. It was just all this chaos. So he starts working on this really tedious, um, basically, equations that he would write as a program that would take all of this data and look for waves inside of it and basically get rid of the clutter, get rid of the noise and try to find any kind of real wave, radio wave inside of his data, okay? And it never worked. He never found a black hole. And so he put that on the shelf and that's tonight's breakthrough. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, okay. <clears throat> so now we have to jump to the late 80s or the early 1990s when we're, we're using these cool laptops, okay? We're pretty high tech. We got these phone connectors we can plug in. It makes it. Okay, all the little kids are like, what? <laughs> the adults with my impression are probably like, what? <laughs> okay, but it was very different. And to have internet, you had to plug in, okay, with, with a cable. And as we started to look at becoming wireless, having things like batteries, how are you going to have a connection to that internet without this cable? If we could find a way to get wireless connectivity, it would be incredible, and we would be more portable than ever. So that kind of became one of the big things people are trying to figure out how to do, was use a system that sent this connectivity over wireless. And everybody's trying to look at that. and they started to use, look at using radio waves. So again, electromagnetic waves, a certain frequency, and it would be termed radio waves, to try and send and receive data. But they ran into some issues, okay? One of the issues was that they, well, if you think about, so if I'm gonna send out a signal, it's gonna go out, like if I, if I shout, that's sending a, a kind of wave out. It's gonna bounce off of things. And they found that the signal they would send out bounced on the ceiling, bounced on the chair, bounced everywhere, and by the time the receiving end got it, it had all of this chaos in it because it wasn't just, it's kind of like if you were trying to talk to somebody half a mile down this tunnel cavern and you're trying to say something really fast, by the time the echoes get down to them, it might just be gibberish, okay? They can't hear you very well because it's all echoey and they hear all these yous and they don't know what's going on. So they found if you, if you send slowly, so like if I said one thing, hello, then the person might be able to hear it and pick it up. So they were able to start doing a wireless system, but really slow, because if they didn't send it slow enough, it would get too chaotic and crazy. And so that was kind of the holdup that most of the engineers were at. Now we're gonna jump over to Australia, to this company, Cicero, 
Cicero, King of Rue, that's why I said Rue. Okay, Cicero. And they did all kinds of um, work on different science areas. And one of the areas that a team was working on was wireless connectivity. And our, our bud, John O'Sullivan, who had been studying the skies, he was working at this company. And he was finding out about these things, these challenges, these issues. And he remembered his equations and his system he had designed for finding black holes or radio waves from black holes. And so he tried putting his equations and the, the calculation system into a chip that they would run the receiving signal through. And it was able to take all this chaos and basically filter out and sort out the wave of the signal and the data. And so they were able to get something a lot cleaner than anyone had ever gotten. Uh, another thing that they did was instead of just sig sending the signal on one frequency, they sent it on a bunch of frequencies. So that if one frequency got blocked more than another, it would still have a greater chance of getting to the receiving end because it's coming on all these frequencies. Now, the frequencies are, that we're talking about in this case are between 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. So that's 5 billion oscillations in one second. And we, we've gotten to learn a lot about radio waves, so hopefully we don't have to cover that because we're not going to go that deep. Um, but the, the ability to be able to pick these things up was pretty incredible in such a clear way. So the company put out a new, base, and they patented this, a new wireless uh, system, and eventually it would catch on, and there would be um, a standard created called IEEE 802.11b, you can look at this, direct sequence. And the IEEE stood for the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, okay? And so that was what it was called. So if you went into a you know, place, you'd maybe, hey, what's the password for your IEEE 802.11? Some of us say that still because we think it's cool. <laughs> but they were like, we need a better name. So they came up with the name Wi-Fi, okay? Now, what does Wi-Fi stand for? Nothing. Okay? <laughs> no nothing there. Um, but they hired a brand company to come up with a name because we need a better, we need a cooler name. And so they came up, we don't know how they came up with this name, okay? It might have been, we should call it Phi. Why Phi? <laughs> we don't know, okay? But they came up with it. And they, they, some people said, well, it's because it's wireless fidelity. And they said, yes, it's because it's wireless fidelity. And then that got confusing. They said, it's not that. Um, <laughs> so it's Wi-Fi. They should have had a celebrity come out and, like, you know, endorse it and explain it to everyone, someone like Christopher Walken. You know, he could have come out and said, you guys, it's pretty straightforward. It's a family thing. You got your broadband for your husband. <laughs> and then you got your Wi-Fi for the wife. <laughs> that's what she told me. Okay. Anyway, but Wi-Fi, that's what it became. And as we know, it transformed the world. So... Next time you're working on a project and you find something, you make a discovery or you invent something, but then the end result kind of bombs and you put it on the shelf, don't throw it away because you never know if down the road that could change the world. Thank you. Awesome. All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. No, this is not going to help your rumors. <laughs> Let them rip. Let them rip. <laughs> Let them okay. roll. Good. I have something to show you. Oh, you do? Yeah. I want to see it. Oops, sorry. Fell over. There. What is it? Um, it's top for my pen. <laughs> oh, it is. Pretty cool, huh? Uh -huh. Why do you want to show me that? Never mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like to see it. 
I do. I still want to see what. Oh, you want to see it some more? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to see it with the pen or without? Without. <laughs> what is the significance of it? Well, if you set this on the table mm-hmm. and you just imagine that it represents science. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then imagine that it just jumps up. Then it would be science live. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't. I can imagine that. It's just, it's just for a pen. I saw it jump pretty high. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. That's a live wire, huh? For science live. <laughs> what is that? We want to thank everyone for coming. <laughs> Do you know what I love about science? Everything. What? <laughs> Broadband. Broadband, yeah. Okay. All right. You're so clever. What's that? That's a tripod. Show, Show this to Titus. Can you see that? It's a cheetah tail. <laughs> uh-huh. What do you make of it? It looks like it is to stabilize something. Yeah. One of my favorite things <laughs> is that gyroscopes. Is, that's cool. Gyroscopes. Isn't that amazing? That's this, pretty. This is a gyroscope. And I want to talk about this because these have always fascinated me. And this particular one is a super precision. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it means pay a little more for it. <laughs> and, and it did not come from Australia like Wi-Fi. It came from the UK. And they're still trying to invent Wi-Fi over there. <laughs> but it's really a precision instrument. So the whole idea behind a gyro is you have a little wheel in here that spins. And around the outside of the wheel is a shell so you can hang on to it without stopping it from spinning. But the fascinating thing is, if you twist the wheel back and forth while it's spinning, Mm -hmm. you feel opposition. So you have to push against a force to get it to turn. And that is the gyroscopic effect. Many, 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 many inventors have figured that's the way that you make a force generator. Somehow you take this gyroscope, and and you can make a force when you turn it, but they have a hard time figuring out how to make a net force. And, of course, some of the laws of physics kind of make it impossible to do. What do you mean by net force? Have you heard of the Internet? (laughs) I have. (laughs) Well, it's not that. That means if you push on it and it resists being turned, it's almost creating a force, or it feels like it's creating a force, but then if you go back, it goes in the other direction. So you can't actually create a force like you're going to fly a spaceship. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's interesting. The idea of a force generator is, is a very powerful, interesting concept. Let's suppose we had a little box that could make a force. In fact, when I was at the university, we used to have engineering week contests. Yeah. And I just love contests. <laughs> I really did. And I was a little confused on my major. So I was majoring in chemical, electrical, and mechanical engineering. And engineering week, all three of those had their own contest. And so I figured if you're going to have three majors, then you should win all three of those contests. And you can enter in all three of them. It took three years. (laughs) But one of the contests was to make a black box that had a force. So the box would just sit there, didn't have any wheels or anything on it, and it would just propel itself. And you did that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... You should have seen inside the box because the the working part was inside. Uh Mm -hmm. 
How would you do it? How would you make a box just move under its own force? I put my people inside there yeah, and close it. Yeah, that would do it. go. What I did is I had a hammer and a battery and a motor, and the battery would pull the hammer up, and it'd let go of it, and it'd go down, and it'd move an inch. It went real fast. But it moved. It worked, yeah. It did, it did work. But just think, if you had a black box that you could actually have a force in, mm -hmm. it would just generate a force, no, no friction like Will's, not like a rocket ship where it's spewing out chemicals, but it would just have a force, then you could literally fly that box right up into space. And it would be a real neat thing. I still have the Model A. Yes. And when you invent that force, I'm going to put in the Model A. When flubber, I invent flubber, flubber, it. Flubber. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, boy. So I wanted to actually look at this gyro. Now, this is a, a motor and, and a battery so that I can spin it up. Okay. You know, the kind I grew up with as a child, you had to wind a string around it, you pull it, and it would run for about three minutes. This will run 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm just saying. And it spins up to about 12,000 rotations per minute. That's cooking. Mm -hmm. That's cooking. So we could do some real interesting experiments with it. And okay. there's more, too. I also have one of these. Looks like I'm not going to say that. What is it? It's a rotating beacon. It's a holder thing. It's a holder thing. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we could actually try this out and see what happens with the gyro. Now, I better get my other accessories out. This is a weight. Yeah, wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> and this is another little rod, which we will get to in a minute. Should we spin it up? Yes. Would you like to? Okay, so if this is really a gyroscope, which it is, well, then it will do some fun things. I've got a little place here to hook up my motor so I don't have to rip it up by hand. If I turn on the battery, it should start spinning up. See if you can hear it. Can you hear it? Mm -hmm. I can. Sounds like an airplane taking off. It does. So it's storing up that electrical energy, going faster and faster. It is. Getting excited. When I said it'll run for 20 minutes, did I mention it takes 20 minutes to get it started? <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway. So how fast is it going? It's going really fast. Really fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your degree was in what? <laughs> Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> is that good enough? It's still going faster. Disengage. Disengage. It doesn't want. Oh, goodness. Listen to it disengaged. And now as I try to turn it, it does not want to be turned. And so it can do really cool things. Like, I could put it on my finger. Oh, goodness. And it would stay on there because I'm very well balanced. <laughs> like the cheetah? Mm-hmm. Use my tail. <laughs> So, the gyroscope is spinning, so it doesn't want to roll off. And you notice I'm doing all kinds of things, but it's just staying there. That is neat. Did you know, of course you did. Did you know that in airplanes, this is how they learn to keep an airplane going on path. They would put one of these gyros in the airplane before you'd take off, they'd spin it up, and then it was on a gimbal. That means it's on things so that it can change directions. And as the plane would fly, it would always stay pointed the same direction because of the gyroscopic force. So you always knew which way north was. It's a pretty neat thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? Okay, so you can see it's still going. Would you, like, would you like a turn? Mm -mm. I, d I wouldn't. <laughs> Now, would you like a turn? Okay, I want to try something else. Remember this thing that you call a, would you call it? 
This has a little string on it, and I'm going to put the string underneath here. I hope you can see this. Look, it's not staying. You know what that means? Time to recharge. I am losing some of my energy. Yeah, it was just the thought heavy. of it having me hold it. See? <laughs> Don't want to ruin it. Is it cooling you off at the same time? It's not. Did you know that the change in pitch could actually be used to calculate how fast it's turning? That's neat. Mm -hmm. That would be an audio RPM measuring transducer. What do they use that for? They don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should be a, about 10, 11,000 RPM now. What would you use it for? For this demonstration. Okay. <laughs> Aha. Now, I still have the string, uh -huh. only now we've got a nice new fresh spin. So what I want to try to do is put the string underneath it. Oh, look at that. Wouldn't it be amazing if this could walk on a string? Yes, it would be. I'm going to put on a long extension. <laughs> I love extensions. <laughs> love gyros. Yes, you do. So I'm just screwing around here for a minute. Okay. <laughs> so, here we go. Down, boy. Now, got a little teeny groove in here mm -hmm. so it doesn't go sliding off. Just did that groove right on that string. Can you see that? Yeah, I can. Is it really going to do it? I don't think so. Oh, goodness. So gravity sweet. wants to tip it over, but the fact that it's spinning is keeping it in a plane. And I'm keeping it from rotating, which would be some of the frictional energy. And recovery? <laughs> Perfect. This is like Elon Musk landing his boosters <laughs> for reuse. Yeah. This is something very similar to that. So that's pretty cool, isn't That it? is really yeah. neat. Now, Spin up again. It's nice that you don't have to do it with a string. So what else are gyros used for? <laughs> to attract actually, certain people and things? Actually, there's what? a lot of things they're used for. Do you know that instead of having a spinning wheel, you could have rotating light beams from a laser. Yeah, and then you can measure very, very precise changes. It's called a laser gyro. I've never heard of a laser gyro. Really? Mm -mm. Hmm. Your people don't use them? <laughs> we might now. <laughs> okay. I want to see if you can balance this on there. Oh, yeah. Here you go. Where do I? Well, we put on your finger. Sure, that'd be, but it can't be that. Well, you tall. want it balanced yeah. on here. What do you? What are you saying? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm I'm concerned. Would you like to try it? No. <laughs> but you know, really, that's a defiance of common gravity. It is. It looks really yeah. good on your finger. And <laughs> the neatest thing, which is kind of hard to show on camera is when you try to turn it against the plane that is spinning and it feels like someone's pushing against your hand. I do want to try that. Okay, you may. <laughs> Handle, please. Okay, I'll try. Well, that is... Man, I wish you guys could feel this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is neat. Mm -hmm. I want to see you put on the string, but... Let me give you a fresh, a fresh spin because the friction is gradually using up all that wonderful The friction RPM. against the air? Against the, the air bearings. Friction? Oh, the bearing friction. There's a little bit of air friction too as it rotates in the air, isn't it? Isn't that? I love spinning it up. Sounds like a little small airplane. Oh, Sounds like a shaver to me. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> they make gyrocopters, don't they? 
Mm-hmm. J2. Yep, that's the model I had. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're ready now. Can you see that little teeny slit in there? Mm-hmm. So you have to put it right on the string. Are you ready? Just let go? Don't let it fall. You're really brave to let go. I am very brave. It's <laughs> pretty amazing, isn't that it? That is amazing. That thing is pretty heavy. It's <laughs> cool. I wish they could feel the resistance of that. That's just neat. It's going to fall. Are you going to catch it or are you going to have a... <laughs> yep. I can do that. <laughs> okay, now use your powers to stop it. Okay. It's going slower. We're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> That's really neat. It's weird. It's science. It likes to be in one position, doesn't it? It likes to... It doesn't like you to change. When it's uh -uh. turning, it wants to stay right on that plane. It really fights you. Mm -hmm. Fights you too? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think this is a very is interesting effect. In physics class, Sometimes they do it with a, a bicycle wheel. Yeah. They have two little handles on it, and they get a motor, and they spin the bicycle wheel up very fast. And because of the big diameter, these forces are even greater. And you try to turn the wheel. And it seems really like kind of interesting. Seems like there's something there it's that neat, needs to neat, be. It's neat, neat technology. And actually, the science behind how it does work, and, and the, the thing that I'm not showing, is the part about progression. And when uh, you actually put a force down on it, mm -hmm. then it will start turning depending on the direction of the force. And so there's a lot, really? of, a lot of science here. That's neat. Now, we wanna see how long this will go, don't we? Uh -huh. So what if we just set it upside down Sounds like it's stopping, isn't it? Not yet. It'll go quite a while. That is neat. So right now, we have bearings that it's spinning on, and we have the air that it's spinning around. It's stirring up a little bit of air, and those are both slowing it down. If there were no bearings, and if it was out in space where there's no air, then it would go and go and go and go. Like you gotta do something with that. Yeah. So, when a scientist sees a phenomena like this that is hard to explain, mm -hmm. that's unusual, usually hiding in that phenomena is a, uh, a secret. There's some scientific principle that if you can harness, you can do amazing things. That's how we got Wi-Fi. We thought we were trapping black holes. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes the hardest part of an invention is figuring out what you actually invented. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really true. You, you try and experiment, you see an unusual phenomena, you study it, and then you try and figure out what in the world it is you invented. And very often, that's really where the magic is is to figure out what it was. Um, I'm what I uh, like to call an applied scientist. So I like to take scientific discoveries and turn it into products you can do something with. There are theoretical scientists that devote their careers more to studying these uh, and discovering these new effects and they, I, I like to say they're the guys that do all the hard work, never get the credit, but they do get credit, you know, of course, <laughs> of course, I always give them credit. But uh, when I see a scientific phenomena that is new or doesn't make sense or I don't understand, then I like to try and figure out why and what I can do with it. And it is really 
kind of exciting. Lots of times, the answer to what I can do with it is I can't figure out anything I can do with it. So we have a question. Okay. The question is, by putting force on the gyro, does it also slow down the spinning weight? Would a gyro without any force applied spin longer than one without any force applied? Yeah, good questions. And it is true that when you apply the force and you feel that opposition, it is actually pulling the energy out of the gyro. So this person is very astute in realizing that it's actually slowing down. So if you sit here and go like this, it would stop spinning quicker. And you notice it's still spinning mm -hmm. because obviously you're not doing that. This person is Arnov. Mm -hmm. Well, Arnov is, is very brainy. Mm -hmm. Give Arnov an A. Got an A. Wow, mm -hmm. just like that. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> Easy A. Easy A. Mm -hmm. Did you bring that, uh, <clears throat> that piece of art to show us? Did I bring it? Mm -hmm. um, it's here, I think. Hmm. I don't have it here. You think here. it's here? Why don't you have one of your people bring it up? One of my people? Oh, one of my people. <laughs> Pages people. people. It says Pages people. We, you need to. I don't know if you can get close enough or not. Oh, there it is. Pages people. I like my people. So, what planet are you? Never mind. <laughs> All right. So, let's see what you got. It's a message to us. Okay. To you. It's a dog. I know. Is it outside? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, let's see. This is uh, amazing. This is us. This is. I don't know if we can show it. Well, ah, thank maybe, you. Maybe we should hold it up. It's. There, look at that. <laughs> it's definitely it's an Apple computer. And me. <laughs> and I'm. I can sure tell that's me, but who's that with me? That's me. Oh, hi. <laughs> but is it just me, or are you on the wrong side? Yeah, it goes the other way. Well, when you look at it this way... Would you like to trade? <laughs> when I look at it, it's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> You're perfect. Thank you right. so much. Okay. Well, that is really fun. Thank you for so, uh, sharing it with us. It's from Janelle, and she says, the best days of her weeks are Wednesdays hmm. for Science Life. Science is alive, isn't it? No doubt Thank about you. it. Okay, good. So... Um, it's still spinning. It is. What do you make of that? I think, it's, I think it's amazing. So if we had better bearings, it would spin longer. Mm -hmm. So bearings are little teeny round balls. Are they? <laughs> What's a bearing? I'm trying to get my bearings. Just a minute. <laughs> yes. Ball bearings are little balls in a track mm -hmm. so that you can have a shaft spin with very little friction because the little balls roll around the shaft. Okay? Okay. And the better the, the bearings, the longer it roll. In a car, we use bearings on the wheels. We use bearings sometimes the engines. Sometimes we use cheap bearings, also known as bushings. Like on the crankshaft of an engine, we have the, the crankshaft Mm -hmm. And instead of having a ball bearing, which would be kind of expensive, they just take a piece of metal, drill a hole, stick it in there, and just let it rub. And so that it doesn't wear out quickly, they squirt oil in it, keep mm. it lubricated. Yeah, ball bearings. But just think, if you could make a better bearing, uh -huh. this would spin longer. Also, if the metal that was spinning was heavier, mm -hmm. It would spin longer because as you spun it up, it would store more and more and more energy. This is actually a flywheel that is storing up energy as the motor spins it up, and then the energy is coming out as it's lying down. And it's still spinning. It's really and amazing. it's still going, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. It is. Now, a lot of the gyroscopic <laughs> effect, which means it opposes being turned is less because it's spinning slower. Slower mm -hmm. it spins, the less of the effect. But I can still really feel it. Almost flips it out of my hand. It's it's a something else. It's a it, very it nice feels force. Really, really neat. Yeah. So I wish they could feel everybody 
should spend some time, I wasn't going to say playing, I was going to say researching gyros. <laughs> Feeling and thinking mm -hmm. about it, what it's going to do. Did you know that this is why people can ride bikes? Because we're gyros? Yes. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So how would that be? How would that make you ride a bike? Because you want to fight the force of falling off the bike. Have you ever... <laughs> ridden a bike and you coasted and it got slower and slower and slower mm -hmm. and then when the bike stops you tip over mm -hmm. but when you're riding the bike the wheels are spinning and the gyroscopic force is holding the wheels from tipping over i never thought of that well that's neat would this be a good time to think about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well now i know why but it really is true and so that's why you're driving on the bike it stands up we only need two wheels. That is neat. Mm -hmm. Science is really neat, isn't Science it? Science is amazing. It is. <laughs> I'm beginning to love it and love it. You're beginning to? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if this would be a good time to announce we have an opening. <laughs> <laughs> Qualifications must already love science. <laughs> didn't love it. I just didn't love it like I love it now. Okay, good. And it's just because the bike didn't fall over. Uh-huh. You know, there's this, a story that I'd really like to share with you. It's a true story. And it's about a, a very young child. <laughs> we have questions. Okay. And this child was riding the bike down the driveway and a car was coming, and the bike was going out in front of the car, and the young person riding the bicycle said, help me, stop me, and the child's mother said, just push the brake. Yeah. I don't know how. That child really needs to get it together. <laughs> it's that, a true story. That child was me. Was it really? <laughs> no wonder you love science. Yeah. <laughs> I was learning the gyro effect right over, there. Huh? Yeah. But it is really interesting to realize that a bicycle does stay vertical because of those wheels that, that are spinning. And the gyro effect won't let it tip over until it stops turning. When it stops turning, try sitting on a bike. When the wheels aren't turning, I have. It's a lot harder. Yeah, you I've tried. do the wheel. That's that's the cheetah tail effect. <laughs> I know. Yeah, There's it, other true stories we could talk about tonight. Is this a duel? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm not equipped for that. Let the games begin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had something else that I wanted to show you. So that you, is captured air. What, what do you make of this? Yeah, that's captured air. Now see, to some people, this appears to be captured air. <laughs> and that's all. It's just, see that? It's, it's just captured air. But to the trained eye of a scientist, <laughs> it is so much more. There's a magnet in there. That's pretty naughty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a captured magnet. <laughs> and you're a magician as well. Yeah, you kind of stepped into that one, didn't you? <laughs> you led me. <laughs> magnets, gyros. Uh huh. Magnets, like gyros, create forces that you can fill. Mm hmm. Big, strong forces. You can feel the attractions. And you can feel the push. One magnet pushes another away. Back, back. <laughs> <laughs> These forces are so important. Can you imagine how our good friend Elon Musk would be tonight without magnets? What do you mean? Well, his cars wouldn't run. It's true. No magnets, no Teslas. It'd be sad. 
He is absolutely trusting science to come through for him today. <laughs> he really is. But think about it, magnets. Everybody needs to spend some time experimenting with magnets. Magnets are awesome. Magnets. Gyros, all of these different effects. And now that he's discovered the Tesla, there are no more inventions to be made with magnets. <laughs> How's your magnet staying there, by the way? Gravity. <laughs> Did you glue it in there? Actually, oh, it is staying right there, isn't it? Let's see. Hmm. Fortunately, uh -huh. I brought a big supply of magnets. Oh, wow, you ditched. Lots of magnets. Strong. Look at this. Whoa. Oh, goodness. Science live. <laughs> For real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I did something absolutely amazing yeah. because I knew you wouldn't be paying attention. So, I put one drop of ultraviolet light activated epoxy on the case. I put the magnet in it, and then I shined the UV light on it. And the UV light turned the glue hard. One minute. UV light cured epoxy. I mean, that's somebody's invention. It is. It's and neat. it's an amazing invention. You know, dentists love UV light epoxy stuff. They do <laughs> make all kind of things happen. A visit to the dentist wouldn't be nearly as efficient and pleasant if they hadn't Figured out. In fact, dentists have a lot of real neat little science stuff they use. I bet you have conversations with them, don't you? Oh yeah, always do. <laughs> they say, "So, how's the hydrogen car doing?" <laughs> Why do they always ask you? They got your mom. That is a good point. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. Someone should explain to them that anyway. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I'm starting to really get excited about next year's science fair. We have the winners coming out, oh, yeah? and we're going to start sending out the prizes to the winners, and it's exciting because we have more winners than we've ever had before. That's awesome. That's and next year's wow. science fair is really going to be amazing. And your science fair project could involve magnets, Gyros, magnets, or just air. Air is amazing. Air is amazing. I breathe it every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of life. You know, uh, air is 80% unbreathable. It's just, it's just 19% oxygen, mm -hmm. and the rest is nitrogen, which if all we were to breathe was nitrogen, would suffocate. And yet, it's a perfect mixture. Yeah. When they were developing the program to send the first men to the moon, uh, they were filling the capsule with oxygen diluted with much more oxygen than normal air, mm -hmm. and it caught on fire while they were doing some tests. It was one of the real sad moments in the, in the space program. And as quick as they could get it open, even though it was right there in the laboratory, as quick as it could open, it all burned up inside because there was such a high percentage of oxygen. And after that, they lowered the percentage. But it's interesting that in our Earth, we have just such a a perfect ratio of nitrogen to oxygen. One of the experiments we do is we take a glowing ember. I don't know why we call that. That's a piece of wood that you light and then you blow it out and it's a little bit of it glows glowing. And, it's an ember color. and then if you stick it in pure oxygen, it bursts back in flame because that glowing oxidizes so fast that it gets hot and bursts back in flame. It's just, interesting yeah. thing. And the plants? I love plants. So we're, we're running out of time, but there's one more thing I really want to talk about, okay. and that is I'm making uh, preparations 
for the 4th of July this year. Wow. And I, I decided that for the 4th of July, I would like to do a hydrogen experiment. Yes. And a I wondered, one? I wondered if, if you would like to have me film that and share it with you. I would <laughs> love that, wouldn't we? You know, hydrogen is such a gas. <laughs> <laughs> Why does hydrogen like to combine with oxygen and make water? And why does it do it so fast? If we were to take a long pipe and fill it up with gasoline and air and put a spark plug at one end and a stopwatch and go and start a fire and it would burn down the pipe and would measure how long it would take to go, 20 feet, and then would fill it up with hydrogen and air, ignite it, and measure how long it would take it to burn. Hydrogen burns 10 times faster than gasoline, than natural gas, and propane, butane, any of the hydrocarbon fuels. 10 times faster. Now that means that if you were to make a outdoor balloon, and that you were to put some pure oxygen in it, that it should burn very fast. Are you going to make a hydrogen My soup? hypothesis <laughs> uh -huh. is that the hydrogen with pure oxygen in the stoichiometric ratio, that means exactly the perfect ratio of hydrogen to oxygen for complete combustion, should burn so much faster than just a balloon of regular hydrogen that it should be much louder. And one day a year, they let you run that test. Awesome. There's nothing like a hydrogen salute, is there? Yeah, but the thing that I haven't been able to figure out yet is what I'm going to use for a decibel measuring device. Well, you know, a decibel is, yeah, they do make them, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Because... <laughs> I need something to measure the loudness of the detonation. That's a nice word for explosion. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they do have decibel meters, but I do not have one. And I wondered if this is an experiment you'd like to help me with. <laughs> can you measure? I would love to can you get measure you decibels? No, I. Well, actually, I can. Okay, here you could be. <laughs> you could be the, our decibel meter. Explain. That means you'll listen and tell me which one's loudest. Okay. How do I? And what's, <laughs> I know there's a catch. And what's my real point? Yeah, what's the real point? Yeah, it's going back to the, the earth has exactly the right percentage of nitrogen and oxygen for us. Uh -huh. I think that's really amazing. Our ears are how we hear, mm -hmm. so that's how you're going to find out which one's the loudest. Right? You're right. going to listen. And you say, that one was louder. And then I'll be able to confirm my hypothesis. Okay. But here's an amazing thing I learned. When I got interested in electronics, and I was building these little <clears throat> radios that I would communicate with my neighbors, and that's a story we don't have time for. <laughs> but this time. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I got these volume controls so we could turn the volume up and down. And a volume control is just a resistor that has a knob on it. So you can have more resistance, less resistance, and it makes more sound or less sound. Well, that's all simple, except there's something very extraordinary. If you have a volume control that goes from 0 to 100, mm -hmm. it doesn't change the volume enough for the people listening to it. Why? And the reason it doesn't change the volume enough is because our ears do something really different. They listen to sound, and the sound gets louder on what a scientist or a mathematician calls a log scale. In other words, if you turn it up 10 times, then it sounds like you turned it up one time. So the louder the sound gets, the more sensitive our ears are. If that were true, 
it would really hurt us. Uh -huh. But fortunately, they're wired backwards from that. The louder the sound gets, the less they hear it. So our ears compensate for a real loud sound and turn it way down. And that allows us to hear very soft noises fine and to be able to still hear a sound when it's really loud, 10 times louder, the log scale, as, as we call it. So when we make a volume control, like on a radio or mm -hmm. a stereo, we make one that when you turn it one time, it actually turns it up 10 times so that it compensates for our ears adjusting. That property of the human ear hearing allows us to be able to listen to very soft noises and very loud noises. What a miracle. Yeah, it's, it's uh, science live. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So, so how do I... So do on I, the 4th of July, yeah. we're good? <laughs> I love that smile. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> you and me, we're good. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I have never tried this experiment. I never have. I've done a lot of experiments. I can see all these thoughts one, going through your mind. One day, Mr. Lear came to me when I was being mentored, uh -huh. and he said that he had a new autopilot he wanted to put in his Learjet, mm -hmm. but before the FAA would let him put this in, he had to prove that it wouldn't start a fire. So he asked me if I would build an experiment that he could put his autopilot in and turn it on and off 10 times without causing a fire. Really? And then, in order for the test to be valid, at the end of the test, I had to explode the gas in there to prove that it would burn. He says, couldn't you do that with hydrogen? <laughs> I can burn hydrogen. So I made an experiment. And I got a box, and I put a plastic lid on it with a big hinge so that when it exploded, the door come flying open and let the noise out. But it had to be not at atmospheric pressure. It had to be at air pressure at oh, 30,000 feet where Learjets fly. Yeah. So it's like a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that with that thin of air that maybe my experiment wouldn't burn. And here I am in the laboratory with all these engineers, and they try it 10 times. It didn't ignite. They say, okay, now shoot your spark plug and show that it'll burn. What if it didn't burn? That'd be embarrassing. Boy, I worried about that. I bet you uh, This is gonna be so embarrassing. So, instead of putting air and hydrogen, I put hydrogen and pure oxygen. Just to be sure. <laughs> Just not to be embarrassed. And it was a, almost a vacuum. And so they did it. They turned the autopilot on 10 times. Did not ignite the hydrogen. He said, okay. I had a little spark plug in there and a little switch. I push the switch. It makes a spark. It ignites it. It pops the lid open on the box. Everybody's happy. So it came time. I pushed the little bit. I had my safety glass on. So way back. <laughs> It was so loud. <laughs> Everybody from all over Lear Motor came running to see what had happened. That was to get ready for the 4th of July. And you know, because of that moment, I've never really tried this experiment. <laughs> but I want to do it this year. I want to see if it's louder if you use pure oxygen in a hydrogen balloon. And you want me to be the decibel tester? <laughs> Are you volunteering? <laughs> Here I Thank am. you. Usually you have to get a freshman for something like this. <laughs> okay, well, so we'll film it, and um, I think you should look for some good hair protection. Well, I'm going to dress to the hilt for that. I am so excited about the fourth. <laughs> it will be coming. We are going to film this. And we're going to see if we can tell, is it louder with the oxygen or with air? You're excited, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I'm just, I like science. I do too. <laughs> okay, see you next time. Yeah.